So as you know, as I've told you before, when Han and I were first married, we attended church here at Grace. We lived in a two-bedroom apartment, garage apartment near North Park Mall that now has a dent in the gutter. And I was significantly underweight as the time, as I told you two weeks ago. And so Hannah put me on a daily root beer float weight gain plan. What you don't yet know about me, and it's a little embarrassing to admit, is that for my entire life, at night when I sleep, I'm a sweater. I sweat a lot in my sleep, even as a baby. My mom and dad are here. They'll tell you that as a baby, they pick me up out of my crib at night and uh, I was drenched in sweat. And unfortunately, this has continued throughout my entire life, even today. Um, I sweat a lot in my sleep. My son Judah has unfortunately inherited this kind of disgusting feature about me. Um, And it's gross, I know, but uh, thankfully you don't have to worry about it. My wife does, (laughs) but you don't. The reason this is relevant is because when I was on that weight gain plan, daily having gigantic root beer floats, I was consuming naturally a lot of dairy. And this began to come out of my pores when I sweat at night. And I began to smell like soured milk. (laughs) And again, you don't have to worry about this, um, thankfully. But the real reason I stopped eating root beer floats every single day was not because I was putting on too much weight, although that was true. I was willing to be fat and happy. (laughs) The real reason I stopped consuming root beer floats every single day is because I was not willing to be fat, happy, and stinky. Because I began to smell, my clothes began to smell, our bed sheets began to smell like soured milk. And as we open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter (laughs) 4, the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 4 is telling the church in Ephesus to change the way they live, to stop living the stinky old lifestyle like they used to live, but to instead replace it, change their lifestyle and reflect the new resurrected life that they have in Christ. And there on your outline, you can see how I broke down our passage for this morning. Number one on your outline, we're going to see Paul's description of the old stinky way of life, Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. He's going to contrast that with number two on your outline, the new resurrected life to which we are called as believers, as followers of Jesus. And then number three on your outline, he's going to give us a sniff test to determine whether we're living in light of the old or living in light of the new. The point of today's passage, you can summarize in one command, don't be like Stinky Jace. (laughs) Don't be like Stinky Jace. Open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter four as we take a look first at number one on your outline, a description of the old self. The old self were to lay aside and no longer walk according to the old stinky manner of life. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Paul says this to the church, the believers in Ephesus. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer 
just as the Gentiles, unbelievers, also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Here, number one on your outline, we see Paul's description of this old self, the old manner, the old stinky way of life that he's telling the believers, the church in Ephesus, to lay aside. Remember at the beginning of chapter four, he tells the church in Ephesus to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called. Here, he's telling them to no longer walk according to that old stinky way of life. And there's several words here Paul uses to describe this old way of life, this lifestyle they're to lay aside and leave behind. And several words I wanna call your attention to. Number one is the word futility. Paul says, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles, the unbelievers also walk. Notice in the futility of their mind. The first word Paul uses to describe this old stinky way of life is that word futility of the mind. The word for futility means a purposelessness, a purposelessness of the mind. Now Paul is not suggesting, by the way, that unbelievers, Gentiles, pagans are unintelligent. He's not suggesting that at all. You and I all know many unbelievers who are quite intelligent people. But Paul uses this phrase, the futility of the mind, to describe the unbelievers because they've missed the true point of the minds that God has given them, that God has given us. God has given us minds ultimately so that we can know him. But for the unbeliever, their mind is futile. It's, there's a purposelessness to their mind because they don't use the very mind God gave them to better understand him. The second word I want you to see here that Paul uses to describe this old way of life, the way of life of unbelievers, is that word darkened. He says, walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Notice verse 18. Being darkened, in their understanding, being darkened in their understanding. Paul often uses this light and darkness imagery in his writing. We see this light and darkness imagery throughout the Bible. Uh, for example, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says that uh, Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of God. Uh, Satan is actively at work darkening the minds, the understanding of unbelievers so they cannot see the truth, the light of the gospel. So Paul says, I want you to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. The third word he uses is that word excluded. Notice verse 18. The third aroma, if you will, of the old way of life is one that is excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. We've seen this idea in Ephesians as well. That as unbelievers, they're excluded, separated from, cut off from the very life of God. Excluded 
from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. The fourth way Paul describes the old way of life that's to be left behind is in that word hardened or hardness at the end of verse 18 because of the hardness of their heart. Paul says that the heart of the unbeliever is hardened. That word is used to describe petrified wood or a callus that develops on your hand. One commentator I read describes it as old stiff joints that don't work quite the way they're supposed to work. And the heart of an unbeliever is insensitive towards the things of God. It doesn't work the way it was designed to work. God designed us with a heart, with affections that we might love him. But once again, that's not the way it was in the old way of life that we're called to leave behind. The fifth word I want to highlight here that Paul uses to describe this old manner of life is that word sensuality that we see in verse 19. Paul says, And they, the unbelievers, having become callous, have given themselves over, notice, to sensuality. Literally, they've abandoned themselves toward sensuality, towards licentiousness, towards doing whatever their heart desires. We've all heard the advice. We've probably given the advice, the bad advice, telling people to follow their heart's desire. That's terrible advice. Because we know, biblically speaking, that the heart is deceitful and wicked. And when we give ourselves over to the desires of our heart, it's just going to lead to this place of sensuality, licentiousness. The sixth word, that I want to highlight here is that word impurity. Notice again verse 19 how Paul describes the old way of life that we're to leave behind. He says, And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity. I love how he phrases that. The practice, like doing it over and over, of every kind of of impurity. The word for impurity means trash, refuse, filth, soured milk, if you will. And then the final phrase I want to highlight there at the end of verse 19. For the practices of every kind of impurity with greediness. One Bible translation puts it this way, with the continual lust for more. In other words, the word greediness here doesn't necessarily mean financial greediness, but it's this insatiable desire for more and more sinfulness. Continually giving ourselves over to an impurity for a sensuality with a continual lust for more. Harold Honer says that this word, this phrase with greediness could be translated simply as I want more. Like a child who wants more and more candy when he knows it's not good for him. Like a newlywed man who wants more and more root beer floats when he knows it's producing an odor that's not very attractive. I want more is that phrase with greediness. You know, as you take a step back and look at what Paul is saying here, this 
descriptive, very vivid statement of this old manner of life, a life that's characteristic of unbelievers. I'm sure many of you uh, have thought, you know, I mean, I know unbelievers who are pretty good people, right? And what I want you to see here is what Paul is describing ultimately is that while some unbelievers are not as bad as they can be, they are as bad off as they can't be. In other words, we all know believers or unbelievers who are decently good human beings. But being a decently good human being doesn't solve the ultimate problem we see here of being excluded from the very life of God. The only thing, as we really dig into what Paul is saying here, describing this old manner of life, the life of unbelievers, the ultimate thing that the only remedy to this, uh, this unfortunate stench is the resurrection life that's imputed to us, that's given to us when we trust in Christ as our Savior. The only thing that reverses the problem we see described in these verses is the resurrection life lived out in us for a person who has trusted in Christ. And so listen, for those of you here in this room, for those of you watching online, I wanna pause right here and ask the question, have you trusted in Jesus as your savior? If you haven't, then what you see here still describes your condition, excluded from the life of God. And right where you are, right where you're seated, whether here or at home, you can trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you can know that you're made right with him. And for those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our savior, what I want you to see is that Paul is writing these words to the church in Ephesus. He's writing these words to believers in the church in Ephesus, reminding them of the life which they used to live, and notice a life that they're still tempted to live. He's writing these things because we continually are drawn back into that old way of life. And so he's telling them, he's commanding them to leave aside that old way of life and to instead, number two on your outline, live out the new life, the resurrection life that's given to us freely through Christ our Savior. So let's take a look at number two on your outline, the lifestyle that should now characterize us as followers of Jesus. Let me read for you Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. Notice the contrast, but. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard of him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. That you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. You see the contrast Paul is painting here between the old and the new. There's several things I want to highlight for us in these verses. And the first one is this idea of truth. Notice throughout these verses, Paul over and over again highlights the importance of truth. Let me read for you again, verses 20 and 21. He says, but you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. The reason this is important 
Paul is highlighting this idea of truth. He's emphasizing this idea of truth because transformation we see here and we see in other passages like Romans 12, 1 and 2, transformation begins with the renewing of the mind. What are you putting into your mind is the question. When I was consuming over and over again root beer floats, it began to come out in my pores and it began to produce a very unfortunate odor in the way that I lived. And likewise, if we're filling our minds with something other than the truth of God, it is gonna come out in the way that we live. Here in these verses, Paul is heavily emphasizing the importance of what we are putting in our minds because it's gonna come out in the way that we live. And this is a challenge because we live in a fallen world that is filled with falsehood. And we willfully put falsehood in our minds by what we expose ourselves to in the media and social media and in other avenues. One of the things I want to beg you to do is just be mindful of what you're consuming or it will consume you. It will come out in how you live. The second thing I want you to see in these verses is the contrast that Paul paints here. To lay aside this old way of life and to instead live out this new life that we have in Jesus. Let me read for you again, verses 22 through 24. Paul says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, to uh, put it away, have nothing to do with it. This old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Instead, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Simply put, lay aside the old stinky way of life and its practices. Take on the new resurrected life. Again, the point of the sermon is don't be like stinky Jace. There's a couple of words or phrases I want to highlight here as Paul makes this contrast between the old and the new. The first phrase I want to highlight describing the old way of life, Paul says here, lay aside the old self, notice verse 22, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. This old way of life, this old manner of life is being corrupted by the lusts of deceit. And even as believers, as people who have been redeemed, who are being transformed, how often we get pulled into the lusts of deceit, the lies of the world. That phrase, lusts of deceit, it reminds me of a quote I've heard that I'm sure many of you have heard as well, that sin will take you further than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. We all know that. And yet, unfortunately, how often do we feel, feel that pull of the world and that lust of deceit, and we give into it, believing its lies that it's going to deliver on its promises when we know very well that it never does. It always disappoints. 
So Paul's making this contrast between the old and the new. And again, notice describing the new way of life. He says there in verse 23 that we are being renewed in the spirit of our mind. Emphasizing again this idea of what we put into our heads, what we put into our minds. Is it the lies of the world or is it the truth of God's word? Paul emphasizes here that we're renewed in the spirit of our minds. That word for renewed means to be made young again. And uh, here in North Dallas, this is a very high price commodity, right? This idea of being young again. And uh, many cosmetic pro- uh, products and things are built on the promise of making you look young again. But here what Paul is concerned about is that the fountain of youth is really found in the truth of God's word. The renewal of the mind comes through solid exposure to biblical teaching, the truth of God's scripture. And that's how our minds are renewed and made young again, made pure again. But again, if we're constantly filling our minds with the filth of the world, then that's what's gonna come out. In contrast, if we're filling our minds with the truth of God's word, that's what will come out. So there's this contrast we see, number two on your outline, between the old and the new. And Paul is telling the church in Ephesus to lay aside that old way of life, as enticing as it is, and to put on the new self the renewal of the mind. But a good question you might be asking is, well, what does this look like? And how do I know if I'm living in light of the old or living in light of the new? How do I know if the old way of life is pulling on me or if I'm living out the new resurrected life of Jesus? Well, number three on your outline, Paul gives us a sniff test to determine whether we're living in light of the old or living in light of the new. A sniff test. We're in Texas. It's hot, it's humid. Maybe this week some of you went down to the fair, you were walking around and maybe about midday you began to notice a foul smell. And then suddenly the horrific thought enters your mind that perhaps that smell is coming from you. And so we all do this little very number right here. And we do a little sniff test to figure out where this odor is coming from. And that's what we see as we take a look at number three on your outline, a litmus test, if you will, to know whether we're living in light of the old or of the new. Let's take a look. The first sniff test that Paul lays out to determine whether we're living in light of the old or living in light of the new is in the area of our truthfulness. Verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, that's the old, speak truth, each one one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The old way of life is one of speaking falsehood and lies. The new way of life is speaking the truth to our neighbor, even when it hurts. Hannah had to tell me those years ago that I began to stink. And I was better because she told me the truth. She spoke truth because we're members of one another. And likewise, here in the body of Christ, I know it's painful, I know sometimes it's awkward, but we have to speak the truth to one another. And one way of knowing whether you're living in light of the old or in light of the new is in the truthfulness of your speech. 
The second sniff test Paul lays out here, we see in verses 26 and 27, it's in the area of our emotions, specifically of our anger. Paul says in verses 26 and 27, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Now an entire sermon could be given on the difference between righteous indignation and sinful anger. But certainly there's a time and a place for righteous indignation, for getting upset and even angry at the right things, at the things that are offensive to the very heart and nature of God. Paul says here, be angry and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity or a foothold. In other words, as believers living in light of the new, we're to keep short accounts with one another. Anger should not be a controlling emotion of our life where it wells up inside of us and begins to control us. The third uh, sniff test, the third area Paul identifies here is the litmus test between the old and the new. We see is there in verse 28, the area of work and money. Paul says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor or work, performing with his own hands what is good, notice this, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Again, an entire sermon could be devoted to this verse alone about the importance of work and those who are mentally and physically able working and performing with their hands what is good. But then notice the result or the, the true purpose of this is not just so we can consume more and more stuff, but we work so that we can have something to share with the one who has need. The third litmus test Paul gives here is in the area of our work and our money. The fourth sniff test Paul lays out in verses 29 and 30 is in the area of our speech. This is a hard one. Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The fourth area Paul identifies here, the sniff test, is in the area of our speech. He says, do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. The word for unwholesome here is used to describe rotten fruit or putrid fish or soured milk, if you will. Don't let any stinky word come out of your mouth. This is kind of a catch-all word. It can describe anything from vulgarity uh, to crude jokes, even sarcastic and mean-spirited comments, words that cut one another down rather than build one another up because the life that's reflected of the new self, notice Paul says here, are words that give grace, good words that give grace to those who hear. And notice as well there in verse 30 that Paul connects the words that come out of our mouth. If they're stinky, putrid words, then this grieves the very Holy Spirit who indwells us. The words we say are connected. Uh, if they're bad words, 
putrid, stinky words. It's a way of grieving the very Holy Spirit who indwells us and who indwells the other person. The Holy Spirit helps to guard our speech. And by using unwholesome words, we can very, uh, grieve the very Spirit of God. The fifth litmus test Paul identifies, we see in verses 31 and 32. This is kind of a catch-all category. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's the negative. That's the old man, the, the man we're to lay aside. But on the positive, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Here Paul kind of throws everything out there. The old way of life, the old self that we're to lay aside, notice is characterized by bitterness and wrath. Bitterness is this resentful attitude that just wells up inside of us. Wrath and anger go together. It's just this strong emotion that sometimes spills into action, this explosive outburst towards other people. The word for clamor here describes loud public outcries that disrupt peace and cause division. And is our world not filled with clamor? Slander is destroying other people's reputation through gossip. And malice is intentionally bringing harm to another person. Paul says, lay this aside. Don't be like stinky Jace, this old way of life. Instead, on the positive side, the new way of life, verse 32. Notice, it sounds so simple and yet it's so difficult to do. Be kind to one another. Be gracious, merciful towards other people. Be tender-hearted. Offer care, comfort to those in need. And forgive one another. Even those who have offended you, even those who have wronged you. And finally, I want you to notice why. The last phrase there in verse 32, why should we be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other? Why? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is really the foundation of everything Paul says here. The only way we can live this type of life is because God has first loved us, because God has first forgiven us, because of the spirit of God who indwells us, the resurrection life that is inside of us. It's only possible because of what Christ has already done. This is a tall order. As I take a step back and look at Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, if you're like me, you recognize the very high calling to which Paul is calling us here. This is incredibly challenging for us to do, especially in a world that is filled with division. So there's three things I want to highlight in terms of application that we see here. The first, the most important, the baseline is what I just said, that all of this is only possible because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us. Apart from him, none of this is possible. By nature, we're selfish human beings, excluded from the life of God. But because of what Christ has done, he has called us to a different kind of life, a new kind of life that's founded ultimately and only in him. That's number one. The second thing I want to emphasize as we summarize these verses is, again, Paul's emphasis on the truth. 
As Christians, we have to be incredibly mindful of what we're putting into our minds. And one of my deepest concerns for myself, for my children, for the church, is the amount of falsehood that we constantly open ourselves up to. Um, We live in a world that is controlled by Satan. And I think that spills over into all the social media, news media, everything we see. Nothing is unbiased. We have to be incredibly mindful of what we're putting into our minds and constantly comparing it to the truth of God's word. If you eat too many root beer floats, it's gonna come out of your pores. If you constantly put the falsehood of the world into your minds, it's gonna come out in how you live. Be mindful of what you're putting in because it's gonna come out. The third and final thing I want you to do in terms of application, we see there as your one thing for this week I want you to spend just a few soul-searching moments in prayer and reflection. I want you to do a small sniff test of your life as you work back through the verses here. And ask yourself, what is one step of obedience from this passage that you can take? Why do you think that the Holy Spirit is nudging you in this particular area? Is there an area here in these verses, and there probably is, because none of us are perfect, that's still giving off a bit of the odor of the old way of life, that needs to be taken away and replaced with the new life we have in Christ. Uh, Listen, you know a lot about me now. You know where I've lived. You know my lack of skill in backing up a U-Haul truck. You know my love for root beer floats. And now thanks to this sermon, you know the overactive sweat glands that are inside of my body. And I had to change the way that I lived I had to change my dietary habits in order to not be offensive to those around me. And the same truth we see here, that at times we have to change our habits and our lifestyle by the power of the Spirit to not be offensive to those around us here in the body of Christ. And so all of us are called here in this passage by the Holy Spirit to lay aside the old, to put on the new, to not be like stinky Jace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy to us. And we confess first and foremost the struggle we all have, that temptation, that pull to fall back into the old manner of life. It's tempting, it's enticing. And we confess how difficult it is to do as we live in a fallen world, a world that constantly bombards us with falsehood. And so, Father, we ask by the power of your Spirit to enable us, to empower us, to open our minds to the truth of your word, to live out the resurrection life of Jesus, that there would be something markedly different about each and every one of us in this room and those watching online, that we would, through the way we live and through the words that we speak, give uh, people a reason for the hope that is within us that ultimately we would be a pleasing and fragrant aroma to you, to a lost and dying and decaying world, that we would speak out and live out the truth of this resurrection life of Jesus we see here. I ask this for myself and for each one here, and I ask in Jesus' name, amen.